Hello and welcome to the Meeple in a Game Stack podcast, a podcast all about board games, whether it's just getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Brown, and this is podcast number 26. And on today's podcast, we are going to be continuing our monthly special Reiner Knizia month, where we are focusing on this very prolific and very well-known designer's games. But first, we're going to be covering what we've played recently before diving into our topic. And this is going to be a very short what we've been playing recently, because for this designer month, we have basically decided to try to cover more games since Reiner Knizia is so prolific and kind of has various different styles of games, even just for himself. He has his tile layers, his auction games, and et cetera, et cetera. So we've decided to try to cover six games for his month as opposed to the usual, you know, three to four, two, three, four that we usually do. And because of this, I've been playing almost nothing but Reiner Knizia games. So long story short, it's a short recently played. But I have managed to get in a few games of Fox in the Forest. It continues to be wonderful. Just a quick little lunchtime, back and forth card game. <laughs> Just with my fiance Caitlin, as we continue working from home. And it continues to be wonderful. If you haven't tried it, please do. One that I highly recommend. And without further ado, we're going to dive into the topic, which is part two of Dr. Reiner Knizia Month. So... For those of you who don't know, here on the Meeple and GameStack podcast, we are doing designer months where we'll take a whole month just to focus on big name board game designers. Some of these greats of the hobby who have really significantly contributed or are really well known or really prolific in this case, and just trying to play basically their greats as best we can, some of their best games if we can manage it. And this kind of has two purposes. One is to fill out my critical repertoire so that when people compare games to auction games or old classics, that I have a deeper library to compare new games to and to be able to give you guys more informed and valuable opinions on games. And the second prong, of course, is to just explore some of the greatest games of all time and some of the greatest, you know, designers of those games. And if you haven't heard these before, then I hope you are enjoying the ride along with me to figure out and, you know, learn a bit about these great games that you've probably heard of a lot. And if you have played all these games, I hope you're enjoying the <laughs> someone with fresh eyes looking at it. And for today's podcast and these couple games, we have a bit of a similar theme. But the first one that we are going to talk about is Blue Lagoon. Designed by, of course, Dr. Reiner Knizia and published by Blue Orange Games. Why I chose Blue Lagoon specifically is that Through the Desert and Blue Lagoon are both games by Dr. Reiner Knizia, some of his most referred to and greatest, and from my research, they are described as being very, very similar. Similar games, same mechanics, just different themes. And why I chose to go with Blue Lagoon over Through the Desert, even though Through the Desert is probably more... I guess revered. I mean, first and foremost is that Blue Lagoon is cheap and readily available. Through the Desert is neither of those things anymore. Maybe at one point it really was, but trying to buy Through the Desert today is diving into, you know, secondary market and collectors, and that gets expensive and costly and takes a lot of time. And if there is a product that is basically the same thing or described as very similar and readily available and half the price, how can you not go with that one? So that's reason number one. Reason number two is 
this is Reiner Knizia working on his own work again. And I don't know about you, but me professionally, if I have to touch something again, if I have to work on a project again or do the same task twice, I can pretty much guarantee that I'm going to do it better the second time. There was no reason for Dr. Reiner Knizia to have to go back to this. I really don't think that... I mean, there's just not good enough reason to suspect that he would be phoning it in or anything. He had no reason to go back to this same design and try to revisit and improve it. So I'm going to, you know, have faith that he has revisited and improved it. So that's why I chose Blue Lagoon over Through the Desert, even though Through the Desert kind of has more renown to it. So what Blue Lagoon is, without any further ado, is a competition between tribes of Polynesian peoples, basically, to settle a new island chain. You've discovered this new archipelago with various islands in it, some big and small, and you are basically trying to claim them for your people. And your people are, you know, blue, orange, purple, or yellow. You know, it's very, a very chromatic tribes people. How you'll do this is across two phases for Blue Lagoon. The first phase, you basically just take turns placing one token each, one tile. You either can place a water settler or a land settler or a village, and that's it. Water settlers can only go on water spaces, ocean spaces, basically. The island settlers have to go beside where you already have a settler, so you do have to enter the islands via the ocean basically every time. You can then chain along islands that you already have people on, but you do have to start from the ocean. And villages follow much the same rules as land settlers, except that you'll want to pay close attention to where you place them for the second phase of the game. And basically that's it. That's all you'll do for the first game. That's all the actions that you can actually take. As you place settlers, you can, of course, place them on the spaces that have certain resources, which are water, coconuts, sugar, or uh, precious stones. And that's it. That's all the rules for the first phase of the game, and, you know, most of the rules for all the game. Before I move on to the second phase, you do the scoring. So once you do this, either everyone has played all of their tokens, or all of these resources have been scooped up by people. But once that happens, that's the end of the first phase of the game. You tally points and add those up, and the gameplay is not that, you know, deep, but how you score informs everything that you do. So you'll get points for having a settler on each of the eight islands, or seven, you get a smaller bonus for that. You get a bonus for having a chain of people between islands, so if you can connect as many islands as you can in an unbroken line, then you get lots of points for that. You get points for having the majority of people on an island. So if I'm the blue team and I have the most blues on the biggest island, I'll get 10 points. Sweet. If there's ties, you have to split the points, and so on and so forth. You'll also get points for these resources and scooping them up. So if you can get one of each kind, coconut, precious stone, sugar, and uh, water, if you get one of each, you get four points. If you get uh, multiple of the same, so having one water apart from that one of each kind bonus doesn't matter, but if, as soon as you have two, you get five, and then three and four and so on, uh, you'll get more points for having more of the same. So you do want to scoop up as many of these resources as you can including there's actually a fifth resource that I haven't mentioned because it works kind of differently, and these are idols. And they don't count for any sets or any of the collecting, but they're just worth a certain amount of points for each. So they're, a, you know, bird-in-the-hand type scoring. And that's it. So you, of course, would explain all of these first, and as people place, they're trying to achieve 
whatever of these objectives that they've decided to go for. Do you try to go for all of them? Do you try to go for a few and clamp really hard onto those? This is a two to four player game. Uh, with two, it's a lot more chess-like. With four, it's I think really shines and probably should be played with three or four. But what happens is that you will fight for stuff. You will put a guy right beside a resource and then be trying to go there and someone else will put a guy right beside it too. And then you both have to, you know, race among your turns to try to get there. But of course, it's not just a single thing. You have a whole map of these resources and these things that you want to do and trying to prioritize what you're going to do first and what you're going to do last is kind of the hard part. Yeah, maybe I'll put a guy right beside a resource and then Orange will put one of his guys right beside a resource, but there's no guarantee that I will just go for it next, even though in turn order I might, but I might just have more important stuff to do, so Orange still might beat me there. It's just what I want to do on my turns. So you'll do that, you'll place all your guys or run out of resources, you'll finish that phase, and then starts the second phase, where instead of being able to place these water people anywhere on the board like you could in the first phase, the second phase, you actually take everything off the board except for the villages. And that's what I said came important later, is that you are kind of preceding the board for the second round with these villages because you take everything else off, and then you have to place people adjacent to where you already have people. So the first round, anyone can be anywhere fairly quickly, and it's not quite a... Yes, you can block people, but it's much harder versus the second round, People have to basically snake their way across the board from these villages, and it's much easier to head people off. If you just kind of curve around and block them off, they can't ever, you know, get past you. So this is where that kind of placement becomes super important for the second round, because how you set it up will determine what you can do very dramatically. I think the second round is much more limited, and I think it's appropriate that it's the second one, because even if you're playing this for the first time, you will have had the first round as kind of practice for the second. And yeah, then you'll do that again. You'll either run out of people or resources, which you, re you know, reseed the board with across rounds. Once you run out, you tally up scores for the exact same scoring conditions as the first round. So you're trying to go for all the same stuff. Uh, you add those scores together, and that's the game. Whoever has the highest score wins. So first off... Really interesting is this two-phase structure to it. From what I understand, Through the Desert only has one, but I really, actually really like having the two phases. It kind of lets this be two games in one, which I can see is people saying a criticism of this, but it's definitely the same game. You're doing mostly the same thing. It's just how you move changes dramatically between the two phases. And since they're linked, it adds an extra stress to that first one where you need to kind of set yourself up for the second round and make sure you take the time to place out your villages, because if you don't place them out, you don't get them for the second round. As well as if you place them to get a resource, you won't get them for the second round, because the resources have to come back. But they play, I mean, it's similar objectives and similar theme, but they play dramatically different, and I really enjoy the difference between the two. It's the same game, but in two very different ways, and that is really satisfying to me. The first one is a little lighter, and it lets you kind of be a <laughs> weirdly both less and more bitey because in the first round anyone can go anywhere so you can try to go for certain spaces but there's no guarantee that you can get them and anyone can go anywhere means you can just put your guys right in the way of other people and kind of you know mess up their plans a little more easily like that however in the second round because the movement is much more kind of contained it means both less and more is contained. You kind of know where people can and can't go. 
but it also means that if you block people off, it can completely ruin their strategy and their second phase of this game. It's really interesting, and I really like this one. Once again, it's another Reiner Knizia game that is super easy to teach. I've literally taught you basically the game again. A bit of a critique I can see is that there's lots to keep track of with the scoring, because there's, you know, six different scoring conditions, which I think maybe I've left one out, I'm not sure, which, I mean, doesn't speak great of uh, the game. But it kind of, with these different scoring conditions, it lets you play the game how you want to. Sort of. In your first few plays, you'll choose what you want to go. Maybe you just want to be island dominator and you'll try to fill up over half the islands with the majority of your people and kind of ignore everything else. Maybe you'll just try to scoop up resources. Maybe, like my first game, you'll try to make a chain that just goes all the way, you know, across the bisects the board and touches every island and fight to have that accomplishment. But... I also like this scoring because, first off, yeah, that's what people are going to do on their first couple games and rounds or phases of this game, is just kind of pick a few and go for those. But the real depth of the game emerges when you have people who have memorized them all, they can keep them all in mind, and everyone is going for most things. This game is easy to learn, hard to master, because it often comes down, once you've played with people who play this game, is not just whether you can capitalize on the specific thing you're specializing on, it's whether you can capitalize on the most things all at once and try to, you know, fulfill every single one of those scoring conditions, at least to a decent level. And when everyone is trying to do that, it becomes much more intense and, I mean, pleasantly bitey. It's fun. It's a great game for, you know, having those moments of, nope, just going to block you off here, and, you, and someone across the table just going, Argh. It's a really good one for that, but also in just a great and pleasant way. This game is wonderfully blue and green. I really like how blue and green it is, and it's very well produced and looks great. So it's a little hard to, I don't know, it's quick and light enough that it lets you be bitey without actually hurting anyone's feelings, really. If you do really terrible in a game, the games are short enough that you can just be like, well, uh, let's play again, double or nothing, you know? And this is a great game, one that I'd actually really recommend. It's great, it's not amazing, but it's much better than a lot of games, and it's decently cheap, it's easy to learn. I think it's great for families or for people who really want to, you know, know board games and want to throw down. I think this one is great. And that is Blue Lagoon. And next off, we're actually going to be moving to uh, the second game for this podcast that I'm covering, and much in a very similar theme. I'm going to be covering another incredible tile-laying game by Dr. Reiner Knizia, and that is Yellow and Yangtze, designed, of course, by Dr. Reiner Knizia and published by Grail Games. I guess for the people who are listening and are newer to board games don't really understand why I had that big dramatic pause there, because I feel like most people were expecting me to talk about what a lot of people regard as his greatest game, maybe, and maybe the greatest game of all time, and that is Tigris and Euphrates, his other civilization-building, tile-laying game that is hugely well-regarded. However, once again, I actually chose to go with Yellow and Yangtze, and Yellow and Yangtze is only a few years old, I believe it's a 2017 game, versus Tigris and Euphrates, the original version is, I believe, from the 90s, and... I mean, my reasons for choosing it on this are actually much similar to Blue Lagoon. First off, I do think that this is 
a game designer who's returning to one of his well-regarded ones to improve upon it. I believe if he's taking another stab at it, I have the faith in this game designer that he's probably going to improve on it, otherwise he wouldn't have bothered to release a second edition of it. Or not not a second edition, but a, a game using the exact same system. Well, not exact same, but he wouldn't have taken another crack at it. And gotta say, I just kind of have faith in that. And faith in Dr. Reiner Knizia that he is actually, you know, improving in his craft and getting better as a game designer over the, I mean, 20-year gap between these two games. Maybe not exactly, but close to. And the second and a big decision maker is that Tigris and Euphrates is not currently in stock anywhere. Or anywhere in North America, I'm not sure about Europe, but the availability of this game being available to me is really not there. It's just, once again, secondary market for maybe twice the regular purchasing price of this game, and Yellow and Yangtze is cheaper and available, so it's kind of hard to beat that. It's not nearly, you know, half the price like Blue Lagoon is for Through the Desert, but it's right there, and it's great. So yes, I actually chose to go with Yellow and Yangtze, Instead of Tigris and Euphrates, I would love to get to Tigris and Euphrates at some point, maybe when it, there's another print run or something. I'm not sure what's happening with it right now. I just think it's, you know, sold out and they're going to do another print run at some point. But so for those who don't know what Yellow and Yangtze is, is a tile laying game. Players will compete across the Warring States period in... Maybe not the word isn't feudal, but I want to say feudal China, ancient China, way back in the day, China. Um, and you will play a dynasty who is trying to claim control of the various states of China and become the new dynasty that will rule all of China. So it's a civilization building competition tile laying game. How you'll do this is by placing either your leader tokens or placing tiles or using their various special effects kind of of plain tiles for example the green merchant tile if you place that down you get to pick off a little market row for the next tile that you get each time you play a tile onto a state that you have a leader beside or connected to so basically if you have one of your leaders in a town and you expand that town you get a point for it which is great there are five types of points in Yellow and Yangtze, and there's basically there's four regular ones and a wild card. There are red, blue, green, and black, and then yellow being the wild card. And that's basically how it plays, is each time you place a tile, you'll be expanding that state or city and getting a point for it if you have the associate leader there. But everyone is doing this all at once, and there's not starting zones or lines between your nations everyone can have a leader anywhere as long as there's not two of the same leaders you've got five leaders in front of you one for each of the colors as long as you aren't putting a leader in the same state as a leader of the same color so if i'm the lion player and the bull player is the in the city he can have his bull players of all the different colors as long as i you know put a different one in there we can coexist in that state slash city at the same time which is a little at first, it's very counterintuitive to what people expect for war games, but it really gives this a dynamic and unique kind of playstyle. And as you go, you'll keep doing this, trying to get points. You can trigger wars when you do actually connect two of these cities, and they kind of compete to see which is the strongest, and whichever one wins basically kicks out all the leaders from the losing city and sucks it into itself, becoming an even bigger, even huger city. You'll keep doing this until you run out of tile from the bag to draw, and... At the end of the game, 
you'll tally up points to see who wins. However, there's a really unique thing with how you tally up the points in this game, where you have the five colors that you can earn points for, excluding yellow, then you have four, and whichever one you have the lowest amount of points for is your final score for the game. So, if you've been Billy Blue Tiles and you've put blue tiles down all game, you're just going to have a whole whack of blue points at the end, but if you have zero red points, your final score for the end of the game is zero. This is really interesting because it kind of forces you to have to care about everything, as well as everyone plays with a little sheet in front of you so you don't actually see how many points everyone has of everything. And I forgot to mention that the yellow points, when they're considered at the end, it's not really... Since they're wild, you can actually allocate them to your other categories to buff them. So if I have 8 green, 8 red, 8 black, and then 2 blue, but as long as I have 6 yellow ones, I can put all the 6 yellow ones into the blue category, then everything's 8, and my final score is 8. So it gives it kind of this extra currency where these yellow points then become a hot commodity because they're so good at helping you kind of raise your score at the end, and just being kind of a general catch-all to help you yeah, just have a better score at the end, they become much more valuable and a hotly debated commodity, as well as their pagoda only has one. Everyone else has two that can be on the board at any time, but there's only one yellow pagoda at a time ever. So control of it will be definitely contested. But I really like this because it kind of smooths out the experience and kind of lets you have a little bit of play in your points so that you can't just be like entirely blocked out or ruined by the randomness that is just drawing these random tiles. You could hypothetically draw a game where you just don't get any blue tiles, in which case you would lose that game automatically. Versus with these yellow ones, I think it really lets you kind of have a little more variety and cover your butt for this final scoring, and I really like that touch. As well as through the game, you will have the opportunity to, yeah, do these wars that I said, but you also have the opportunity to build pagodas and kind of compete over them. There's only a certain amount. So if there's two green pagodas already built and someone builds another one, they actually get to steal another pagoda, which isn't terribly thematic, but it is kind of hilarious to imagine that your army actually sneaks into town and lifts the whole building off and walks off with it. And that is the game. You'll compete by placing these tiles and vying for control and earning points, and then reveal at the very end to see who's won. And that's kind of a skimming. This one has a little more rules overhead to the point where I don't want to delve into it 100% for this guy. Each of the tiles has kind of a special ability that you can do, but even though it has a bit more rules overhead, it's certainly not nearly as much as many other complicated games. It's certainly not a Too Many Bones or even Agricola or something like that. It's more complicated Nitsia game is still gets up to maybe like medium weight-ish, maybe a little medium high, but still not terribly bad. And once you kind of have taught the rules, they kind of gel in everyone's mind in a really great way. There's some fiddly parts that you have to remember and keep track of, but once those are in, you're definitely good and off and sailing. And I find this game is incredibly deep, much like all the Reiner Knizia games, but I think very much more so in this case, is that this game is yeah, incredibly deep. The amount of strategy and tactics that you can employ, the counteracting and anticipating and just 
yeah, the amount that can you can get out of this game, I think, is really tremendous and really, really enticing. I have played this game for review, but I've only, I feel like I've only played it enough to know that I have not played it enough to really, you know, render a a complete look at its tactics and strategy. I certainly I've learned enough to know that I haven't learned enough. And yeah, it is incredibly it's almost like a very pleasing sort of chess-like maneuvering and strategy to it, knowing when to try to tear down other people's cities or build up your own or to not pull aggression and just quietly try to do your own thing in the corner or to get right in there and try to get in the mix to get the most points is really varied and really incredibly satisfying. As well as with the movement, much like Blue Lagoon, where you can put stuff anywhere in this game, barring a few rules, you can put your leaders and make a move anywhere on the board. There's not starting areas. And this gives it a really, really like lightning quick dynamism. Even playing with four, you would never have a turn in this game where you're just not paying attention because even one person in between you, even if you play with two people, what the other person can do will change everything, maybe. And you just end up really paying attention the whole time, even because everyone's turn is just as important as yours. Being able to react to everyone else's doing is just as important as doing things for yourself. And yeah, it means the game state just changes minute to minute. I also really, really like the twist on the rules. Usually I actually don't like when you're kind of forced to be a generalist. I enjoy games that let you specialize, but this feels completely different in this game. It, I don't know why it does. It's a really strange alchemical mixture that kind of makes it feel satisfying to go for everything at once, as opposed to feeling like you have to, which I kind of felt that was the big difference for me between Feast for Odin and Agricola. Feast for Odin just said, hey, do whatever, uh, versus Agricola was like, nope, you have to do everything. But this game doesn't feel like you have to do everything. It kind of feels like you want to, to be balanced and actually be a proper threat, I guess. So I really like the twist on the rules where the, the point category you score the lowest in is your final score. I think it really helps with balancing the game because if you, in this game, if you wanted to focus on one thing, you could focus on one thing that gives you the best benefit to maybe control the board state and then become overpowered very quickly. But since that's the case, maybe you might be the war guy for a few turns, but once you've got a bunch of points in the red category, which is kind of the war category, you don't need those anymore. If that's way higher than your others, you might not have to do war for the rest of the game. And it kind of gives it a nice balance as people shift between going for stuff and it leaves everybody as almost like opportunists. It's not a charge between roaring lions it's a bunch of hyenas trying to sneak points away from each other whenever they can as well as i really really like the touch that you have a screen and you don't get to see who is for sure in the lead it leaves everything wonderfully fuzzy you can't see for sure that oh this person's winning so i should attack them or do stuff to harm them because you can kind of keep track of that but you won't know for sure i mean unless you have like a really crazy good memory it leaves it so that you just kind of have a vague notion of who's winning and who's not, and whether you should be paying attention to that player who's just been quietly doing their own thing for a bit. And that's a wonderful capstone into this design that makes it really shine and leaves it as not just a mere calculation. It's not a spreadsheet of a game, it's an evolving, changing mixture that has uh, certainly has times where you will be calculating and that will be valuable, but not 
all the time and not in a way that is stale or boring. Yeah, I really, really enjoy this one. As well as even if you just want to be the person who is just doing the quiet thing by yourself in the corner, it's really satisfying to do so. Building your own little cities and building them out and making them better and trying to optimize them. I feel like it wouldn't be too hard to release maybe a module for this game that is just like, okay, do try to get X points and would be a delightful little solo version of it. I mean, yes, you'd have a lot missing from the competition and just maximizing might get a little boring after a bit, but just being able to do so, I think maybe maybe it is because if you're playing with a bunch of people that getting to do your own thing and not being bugged too much by everybody is kind of a rarity that it makes it so enjoyable. But doing so and just even adding, putting these tiles and building pagodas and stuff is very satisfying and it's a really enjoyable game. I guess I didn't mention, but why I chose this version is Yellow and Yangtze is quite new and all the art for it and the production of it is quite nice. With a minor asterisk, I think everything's great. I think the art is wonderful. The colors and the theming is cool. Not very many games specifically about China. I feel like Japan is kind of the more focused on one. And my little asterisk there is the one thing I don't like is the pagodas are just a little wobbly. Not actually, not specifically wobbly, but just the mold or something is just a little janky. So they're just a little uh, <laughs> slightly warped plastic, but it's probably not a thing that'll bother most people. I think maybe just because I'm so far into minis that paying attention to sculpts is something that I definitely do. But yeah, just this game, incredible puzzle, the unknowable and bitey, satisfying mix of building stuff and the variety of ways to play or options that you can take and strategies that you can try to do. I think this game is really tremendous. And and I do think it is probably up there for one of the best games that I've played. If you have to, like, if you only got to play one board game for a long time, I think this one would be a solid contender that you should consider. Because of the depth, because of the variety, because it's just a really incredibly well-designed game. And that is Yellow and Yangtze by Dr. Reiner Knitzi. And that's going to do it for this podcast. This has been part two of Reiner Knitzi a month, and I think both of these are really tremendous games and ones that you should definitely check out if you have the opportunity. As always, big thanks to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as our intro and outro music. If you want to help the show, if you've enjoyed yourself or found it valuable in any way, please share this with a friend. It's the best way to help the show. Of course, if you want to help with the algorithm, you can go onto iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback. And yeah, if you want to contact me or have any questions or objections or, you know, topics for debate, I'm MeepleGameStack on Twitter, or you can send me an email at MeepleGameStack at gmail.com. And yes, look forward to part three of Reiner Knitzi Month. We have another game that I think is, well, we'll have another two games, and one of which I think is another tremendous game, one that probably should be in everybody's collection. But I'll leave that a mystery for now. But as always, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. He wouldn't have taken another bite at the apple. He wouldn't have tried again. Try it again. <laughs> Fuck.